always depended on the kindness of strangers. All right, so he's not a regular rat, or, or even a super rat. He's a scared little mouse, that's all. first mini-episode of The Real Woman, a podcast about cinema's past, present, and future. I'm your host, Emmanuel Perryman, and yes, this is my real voice. In this podcast, I will be discussing both contemporary and classic cinema. For each episode, except for this one, I will be joined by a guest. Some of my guests will be film scholars, some will be filmmakers, Others will be artists, musicians, athletes, and even a politician or two. They will all have different backgrounds, but they will all have one thing in common, a love for film. Depending on who I'm speaking with, we'll either discuss actors, genres, fashion icons, basically all things cinematic. You get the picture. Pun intended. So let's begin. The reason why I chose not to have a guest for the first episode was so you could get to know a little bit about me and how I, a woman from New York, became a photographer and film historian living in Detroit. My love for film began at a very young age. I grew up on the Upper West Side of New York City in the 1980s. For those of you not familiar with the city, I was about 24 blocks north of Times Square. I was fortunate enough to have a mother who loved, and still loves, film. We would hold many film festivals on the cold winter weekends or over the holidays. One weekend, it would be MGM musicals, three of which, Meet Me in St. Louis, The Wizard of Oz, and Gigi, I will be discussing in a future episode with film teacher Stephen Levine. On another weekend, it would be Marilyn Monroe films, or my mom's favorite, Betty Davis. When I was homesick, we'd watch our favorite silent clowns, Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, or the Keystone Cops. But just in case you're beginning to think it was just a thing with my mom, oh no, my dad got in on it too. He was very much into westerns, war films, and martial arts. He introduced me to Sergio Leone's The Man With No Name trilogy, A Fistful of Dollars, For a Few Dollars More, and of course, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. He showed me Bridge on the River Kwai. Years later, I felt very cool because I I knew the tune that they were whistling in The Breakfast Club. He and I watched Bruce Lee and Enter the Dragon, and we laughed at the wonderfully bad dubbing of the kung fu movies of the 1970s. It was my dad who took me to see The Empire Strikes Back, but also introduced me to Toshiro Mifun in Kurosawa's classic Seven Samurai. I look forward to delving into all of these movies and actors on upcoming episodes. The 80s saw the rise of cable and a few all-movie channels like TCM, which became a staple in our house. In general, my childhood was spent watching and re-watching musicals, and I was obsessed with Grease, but I'll get back to that. 
My Fair Lady and Singing in the Rain were definite favorites, as was Mary Poppins. Sidebar question, are you yes or no on the new Mary Poppins movie with Emily Blunt and Lin-Manuel Miranda? I was a definite no, but after seeing the trailer, I'm kind of a soft yes, as in I'll see it, but probably not in the theater. I won't bore you with all of my film-going experiences, but I will mention a few highlights. I was seven when I first saw Peter O'Toole in my favorite year, and I still love that movie. When I was 10, my mother traumatized my best friend Angela and me with a double billing of Betty Davis and Olivia de Havilland in Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte, followed by Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho with Janet Leigh and Anthony Perkins. In her defense, we had begged her to show us a scary movie. Psycho was the first Hitchcock mo movie I saw, and he's become one of my favorite directors. Now back to Greece. I took obsession to new heights when it came to Greece. Both of my parents could probably quote Greece, not because they watched it with me, but because I watched it every day for years. To be honest, I have no idea how many times I've seen it, but it's got to be in the high 1000s. But this, my friends, was next level participation. And to be honest, I wish that I was exaggerating, but I'm not. I used to pause the VHS tape before almost every scene so that I could make the appropriate costume changes. For example, Hopelessly Devoted to You required that I change into my white nightgown, while the pep rally scene obviously called for my red crinoline skirt, white sweater, and red and, red and white pom-poms. Whenever dancing was necessary, the furniture became my partner, and I perfected my fan kicks on the back of the sofa. I was around five or six years old, and Danny Zuko was my boyfriend. Years later, my mom admitted to feeling like it may have been may have not been the best parenting choice to allow me to watch Grease unedited, but two things made her feel better. The first was that I assured her that I got what I got, but that most things had gone over my head. I distinctly remember thinking that Kanicki and Rizzo were talking about a stamp in the back of his car. I was a teenager before I realized that that stamp was a condom. The second thing that made my, my mom feel better was when we started hearing about other women who, as little girls, had also been obsessed with Greece. Well, my mom eventually said, I guess that's just what the girls of your generation were watching. At 12, my mom took a friend of mine and me to see David Lean's Lawrence of Arabia at the Ziegfeld Theater a fabulous single-screen movie place that was a true jewel of New York. Unfortunately, it's been recently repurposed into an event space. That was truly the greatest film-going experience of my life to that point. The last movie I saw there was the premiere of Martin Scorsese's Hugo in 2011. I was joined that night by my, by my friend James Avatar. James is a native New Yorker who's been active in, the, in New York's arts and cultures world for many, many years. In a future episode, he and I will talk about and reminisce about New York City's Times Square of yesteryear, 
Think the 70s and early 80s. And the midnight movie theaters and grindhouses that line the streets. Another side note, if you're interested in 70s New York, I recommend watching HBO's The Deuce. But I digress. I was 13 the first time I intentionally woke up early to stand online to get tickets for a movie that I wouldn't see until that night. It was summer 1989, and the movie was Tim Burton's Batman. It was during film school at the City College of New York that I fell in love with the French New Wave, and I will most definitely be discussing various film, films from that era in future episodes. But as a sidebar, I have to say that if you have not seen Alain René's 1961 masterpiece last year at Marienbad, I highly recommend it, if only for the fabulous Chanel-designed clothing. The 1990s were, for me, all about independent and foreign films. One standout from 1998 is Run, Lola, Run. And I will be talking about it with Cornelius Harris, founder of Alter Ego Management and a member of the legendary Detroit techno collective Underground Resistance. The music you heard in the intro was from the song Timeline by Underground Resistance, and you can visit their Facebook page named Somewhere in Detroit. Now for my favorites. It has always been difficult for me to choose one in any category, be it actor, movie, etc. But I have attempted to narrow it down. My favorite actresses of classic Hollywood are, like my mom, Betty Davis, and Katherine Hepburn. In the actor category, it has to be Cary Grant and James Cagney. Again, this is a very harsh list. I could name about 20 actors and actresses, but I'm only selecting two. My favorite genres, and this is where it gets really hard for me, but I'm going with musicals and film noir, two genres that could not be more polar opposites. My favorite musical has to be Singing in the Rain, my favorite noir, however, really stumped me. I love Edgar Ulmer's Detour from 1945, John Huston's The Asphalt Jungle from 1950, and Ida Lupino's The Hitchhiker from 1953. I also love 1944's Murder in My Suite with Dick Powell, a song and dance man who really had no business being in a film noir, but who had fought for the role and who, I believe, knocks it out of the park. But whether or not all of these are true film noirs and what actually defines a film noir will be the topic of a future episode. Film school taught me that I did not want to make films, so I moved towards teaching. In 2012, I moved to Detroit and found myself more and more interested in photography. And this year, I published my first book of photography. The book, called Finding Detroit, Faces and Places in the Motor City, was a labor of love. I photographed an array of Detroiters at their favorite places in Detroit. Each person's picture is paired with an interview about why they chose their location, what it means to them, and what Detroit means to them. It's currently available on Amazon. Before I finish, I'd like to give you a rundown of a few of my upcoming guests. From the 13th District of Detroit 
soon-to-be Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib will stop by to discuss Michael Moore's Fahrenheit 11.9. In November, I will also be joined by Tom Cherisulo to discuss F. Scott, Fitz F. Scott Fitzgerald's time in Hollywood. Tom is a professor of English and chair of humanities and fine arts at Elm College. He's also an F. Scott Fitzgerald scholar and the author of Authors Out Here, Fitzgerald, West, Parker, and Schulberg in Hollywood. In the third episode of this podcast, I will be speaking with screenwriter and actor Jason Zumwalt about the connection between horror and comedy. We will be focusing on three films, last year's Smash, Get Out, Scary Movie 1 from 2000, and the cult classic An American Werewolf in London from 1981. I'd like to end this episode with a few thank yous. First, to my mom for being the first person to suggest that I do this podcast and for being my first film teacher. I'd also like to thank Imani Mixon and John Galloway for guiding me through this process and for going above and beyond to teach me the nuts and bolts of launching a podcast. A very grateful thank you to all of the people who have agreed to be guests. And finally, to you, the listeners. If you'd like to learn more about my upcoming guests, you can go to my website, emmanuelperryman.com. That's E-M-M-A-N-U-E-L-L-E-P-E-R-R-Y-M-A-N.com. Or on Facebook at The Real Woman Podcast. Please join me again next week when my first guest will be Dr. Victoria Amador. We'll be discussing v female vampires in cinema and we'll focus on four films, Dracula's Daughter from 1936, Vampire Lovers from 1970, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night from 2014, and Only Lovers Left Alive from 2013. And with that, the first episode of The Real Woman Podcast comes to a close. Thank you. This is The Real Woman signing off, and in the immortal words of Roger Ebert, I'll see you at the movies.